We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time, the Roast of Tom Brady, a Netflix live event happening May 5th Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Welcome to the Pat Mayo Experience, presented by DraftKings 2022 Honda Classic DraftKings Picks and Preview. Want to remind everyone out there to smash the like button to the episode in the comment section. Give me your two favorite plays from the $6,000 range this week on DraftKings. Plus, sub to the Mayo Media newsletter, where I'll have the final bets on Wednesday and final research. Plus, DraftKings ownership percentages and, of course, play in the Listener's League. The link is down in the description. $15 to play. Three Max entry, no rake, thus making it the best tournament on DraftKings. We need to fill that. 3,500 spots this week, although it's getting pretty full already. We fill it up by like mid-Wednesday afternoon. All of a sudden, we have 4,000 for next week at Bay Hill. Maybe 6,000 for the players. So the more we can build that up, the more rake-free money that is guaranteed in that prize pool. And of course, we would not want to miss out on that. FantasyNational.com slash Mayo to get 20% off all your research tools, lineup generators, simulators, ownership projections, everything of that nature. You can do it yourself. You don't want to listen to my picks. That would probably be pretty smart, but now you can use the tools to make the picks yourself. FantasyNational.com slash Mayo. Joe Iadoni is on the line. What's going on, dude? There's no DFS open for you to organize this year. You can really hammer down on the Honda Classic. I can really hunker into the Honda. What's going on, Pat? It is a pleasure and an honor to be joining you on this new beautiful set of yours. I said to you before we went hot here, it feels like I'm on Sports Center, uh, but I'm excited, man. I love this tournament every year. I'm going a couple days. I'm meeting up with a couple of buddies, so we're going to have a good time. I, I This tournament's gotten some heat this week, and I'm here to, to hopefully help uh, bring it back to life. Well, let's talk about the DraftKings idea behind this i have a ticket into the 555 this week i don't know if i'm going to use it at the honda classic simply now maybe it's a good time for me to use it because i'm going to have one entry obviously but i want to talk about variance a little bit especially with this tournament and this kind of ranges all throughout the florida swing like 
I do horrible at the players every single year because my guys are like, oh, I'll, I'll have a five of six, but my other guy is 13 over par or something like that. We're going to see some bad scores this week, and we're going to see some bad scores from really good players. So how is this a pure game theory week? Like, yeah, maybe I don't like, uh, let's just say Brooks Kepka comes in wildly under-owned compared to the rest of the guys in the $10,000 range. Does that mean you automatically have to use Brooks and just hope to get lucky because everyone's at risk of a landmine? I think so to a degree. I'm normally not heavy in terms of the the ownership brigade, but this week I think it makes a lot of sense. You mentioned the volatility. You mentioned the carnage. There are double bogeys and big numbers lurking out there for virtually every player in the field, and it's somewhat unavoidable, right? So I think it makes sense to sort of really pay attention to those ownership numbers, be willing to sort of pivot into a good player that may not pop as much in terms of stat-wise, um, and just kind of embrace the fact that there's going, you're going to wake up on uh, Thursday morning and you're going to have guys that are four over through three holes. Um, there are very difficult stretches to this golf course, but there are opportunities to make birdies. If you can keep it in play, uh, you just got to kind of go with it. Do you subscribe to my theory at all that bombers might actually have a bit of an advantage at this tournament? Because you would think shorter course, you don't want to be spraying it off the tee. You want to be in the middle of the fairway in order to have the best chance to actually just make par on some of these holes. But the extra distance allows the bigger players to club down, thus improving their accuracy, yet still have the smaller irons into the greens that if it gets super gusty, they can keep it a little bit lower. They can manipulate the ball a little bit more than they want. Plus, they have the extra advantage advantage of getting to both these par fives and two if they want to or it could be a bit of a struggle for some of the shorter hitters in the field that's my logic behind it because someone asked me why did you include par five scoring so heavily when there's only two on the course it's like well if the winning score is going to be like eight under nine under ten under you're going to want those gimmies on the par fives and getting there in two makes it a little bit easier absolutely i tend to agree with that very much so here's the thing there's, I followed Adam Scott here a couple of years ago. I think he hit one driver on the front nine, and he was firmly in contention on the third hole there. You don't need it much. You can take a lot of iron off the tee and get yourself right into position. But what we've seen in previous years, Pat, is that a lot of these guys who, who are hitting driver well and are in a groove are typically the better players in the world. That's why we've seen them win here. You look at Rory, you look at Scott, you look at Sergio, you look at Justin Thomas. These guys had great driving weeks with the ball. And when you can kind of get it in the fairway and you play aggressively and it's, and it's sort of dialed in that week, you can take advantage and you can win. Um, we know the field strength isn't totally there. So being able to have that extra distance is certainly an advantage uh, around this place, as long as you can keep it relatively straight. And I think that the reason that I think people lean the shorter hitting accuracy players, which I'm not against this week, obviously, uh, I just think it's sort of a hidden edge to maybe go with more bombers at a track like this. It's just the fact that we don't see a lot of the high end big hitters play this tournament at all. It's usually that uh, I'm surprised Webb Simpson doesn't play here every year, to be perfectly honest with you, or Kisner. Like this seems like the perfect event with that type of player. Like this field is littered with those type of guys rather than the Wolves or the Brookses. Like you never see DJ here. Like Rory periodically plays it. Uh, we have Matthew Wolf in the field this week who bombs it, but like of the gigantic hitters that we associate with being the elite big hitting players, like even the Xanders, um, it, the Scotty Schefflers, like that type of guy, they're just not here. Yeah, part of it, I think, is a scheduling issue, What they did a little bit better job in in terms of moving it up in the PGA Tour schedule this year. 
But yeah, I think, you know, the feedback that I've heard, a lot of players don't really love this course because <laughs> of that volatility and because of all the water, because of the big numbers. I don't think we'll ever see Bryson here. Um, you know, in a sense, I think that the, the tournament is doing a good job, though, um, of working with what they got. They're sort of building the fan experience up. They're trying, I feel like, in, in a sense, to sort of pivot this into basically what is is going to eventually they hope to turn into sort of a waste management east in terms of a, a sort of rowdy fan experience. They're, they've got triple decker stands on 17 this year for the first time ever. So they're really kind of sort of embrace that element of it, which they're hoping is going to bring some of these big names back into the fold at this event. But yeah, for the most part, it's definitely more of, of, of traditionally a plotter's track and won't necessarily attract those big names like Xander and Bryson and DJ uh, until they can kind of bring a, an added element of the fan experience to it. I think it's difficult to try to manipulate something. To there, There's something so organic about the waste management and the fan experience yeah. there. And a lot of it has to do with ASU is right there. So the college kids can just come in and populate the entire tournament. feel like that's going to be a bit more difficult in Palm Beach Gardens. Yeah, I've never, I've never been to the waste management, so I can't speak to it. But this is a fun, fun event for fans. They do a really good job of it. Um, they have sort of the, the entryway where you walk through all the vendor booths and they have the different setups on different greens. Obviously, the, the bear trap is, is exciting and 18 is not even included in that, which is a great finishing hole. So, you know, Palm Beach County has more golf courses than any county in the United States. So the, the, the thirst for golf is here. Um, and it's active and they will sell a ton of tickets to it. You know, when they had Tiger at this event for a number of years, they used to pack people in here. I think it'll come back. I don't think it's ever going to be to that level, but I think their goal is to kind of make it that type of vibe here. You mentioned that it is now moved up on the schedule. It's being played three weeks earlier than it was a year ago. Are there any substantial changes to the course because of that? Uh, obviously, it's not quite as warm as it would be three weeks from now. Is that going to hurt the grass or at least present a different type of grass or different elements of play, at least in your mind, or is it just negligible? I think it's pretty much the same. It's been really dry and, and a little bit windy here, Pat. We haven't had much rain. I don't know how much that's going to affect the course until we start to see some images of it. I assume that they're they're watering it heavily, but this course plays great when it's sort of firm and, and really tough to hit greens. It's, it's, I think, five of the last seven years been the most difficult non-major course in the PGA Tour rotation, so we know that it plays difficult. Um, it's, it's unique in that it's a 7,000 yard course, but you can't really label it that like when you're filtering on fantasy national, if you just look at short golf courses, I think you're kind of missing the boat here because you're going to get a lot of lengthy approach shots that you don't normally have on a 7,000 yard course. There's, I think the distribution from like 175 to 200 yard approach shots is like 26%, which is insane for a course that yardage wise is this short you're you're at sea level you're dealing with winds it just plays a lot longer than that because we mentioned earlier you don't take a lot of drivers off the tee so it's unique in that sense um, I think it's going to play equally as tough this week I haven't seen too much thus far in the week in terms of a wind impact but it looks like it's going to be dry and sunny all week perfect conditions uh, if people are wondering, the best players in this field from 175 to 200 over the past 50 rounds, Svensson and Lipsky are tied for the best approach from that range. Berger, Hardy, 
Bronson Burgoon, The Glove, Jason Duffner, Louie, Party Martin Keimer. Uh, that's probably drawing stats from like 2015 or something crazy like that. He hasn't played yet this year, by the way. And the Knights who say, Nee! Smith is number 10 on that list. Hudson Swafford's actually number 12. I want to start with Hudson Swafford before we jump into everyone. He is rating out outrageously good in everything that I look at. And he's, what is he? He's 7,100 bucks on DraftKings. He's as deep as 180 to one in the betting market. And I still don't know what to do with him. It seems like all signs should point to yes. Why am I hesitant to do this? I'm hesitant as well. It's hard when these guys get that victory, right? Because then it sort of, you feel like it kind of throws off a lot of their stat models because obviously they have that one huge jump there. I'm looking at the same thing you're looking at. Fourth in ball striking, third in approach, great in that proximity range that we mentioned earlier. Obviously the Amex has some, some correlation. I believe two of the four rounds are played on a Nicholas course, which this technically is as well. So um, look, a lot of great stuff for old Swaff Daddy this week. What do you think? I mean, I'm just looking at his Phoenix numbers right now. He gained 4.3 strokes tee to green, came tee 60 because he lost over seven strokes putting. Like, that's always going to be the thing with Swafford is that he can putt himself out of a tournament. But like we saw at Amex, he's one of these really high variance putters, a lot like J.B. Holmes in a weird way, where he sucks normally, but the weeks that he's good, he's really good. Obviously, he's figured out the speeds. He's figured out the breaks. He's figured out something on the greens once he gets it going. So I worry that you know you get the minus five, he misses the cut, or even if he makes the cut, it's no good for you anyway. But out of all the guys down in this range, like we've seen these spike weeks from him, whether it be with the irons, whether it be with the putter, that I don't know. I, I we'll talk through this entire slate. I don't know where I'm yes. gonna land on him yet. Same. We'll talk through it. Let's go to the $10,000 range then. It's not the typical $10,000 range that people are used to uh, on DraftKings. Sungjae is the betting favorite at 10 to 1 on DraftKingsSportsbook.com. On DraftKings for the DFS game, he's 11000 bucks. Louis 10-8, Neiman is 10-6, Berger is 10-4, and Brooks is 10-1. I don't think that I'm crazy to think that Brooks or Neiman will likely be the two lowest owned players of this bunch and that everyone's going to try to jam in Sungjae and Louie. Because, I mean, that was the first that thought that I had. It's like, I don't want to bet Sungjae at 10 to 1, but I will definitely play him at $11,000, immaculate track record at this course. Then you have Louie, who I bet at 25 to 1. I could see fading him in DFS, to be perfectly honest with you, if he's, especially if he's going to push like 20% ownership, which is what it's looking like right now. He'll be right around that range. I can't make heads or tails. Like, would you go Sungjae Louie? Because you can afford to do that this week if you really wanted to. Because once you get to a certain price point in this field, that it really drops off, that there's not a distinguishable difference between like 7,700 and 6,500. It's one of those fields. So you can jam in the two highest price guys if you really wanted to. But if they're both going to be super chalky, would you really want to do that? For me, that answer is no. I like the guys a little bit lower, particularly Berger um, has, I have a lot of interest in, I think that had there not been a, a back injury toward the end of that round about a month ago, I think he'd be the highest priced player here. I was kind of shocked to see him not to be honest with you, Pat. And I had him projected as his number one in terms of an odds price point as well. He's so good ball striking. He's so good here. He's going to be the most familiar with this course and these type of conditions. And for me, um, he's just more accurate off the tee than any of the other of these guys in the 10 K range. So I trust him to um, have the least amount of concern with hitting it into one of these 15 holes that are bordered by water nearly the entire length of the rough. 
I feel best about Berger here. I have some concerns about Louie just because I haven't seen him enough. And Sungjae is just a little bit too high priced for me in this sense. Um, that's my thoughts on it. So double fades start with Berger. How concerned are you about the back? Because it's really weird because he hurt himself at Farmers at some point. Then he played in Phoenix after having to do the WD at Pebble Beach because of the back. And the two things that had really stuck out from him over the course, like the past six months, you mentioned it. Hitting fairways amongst all of these top guys, he's the guy. It's not even close yeah. uh, of the top like 15 players. He's the only one inside the top 25 in terms of accuracy of these higher priced guys. And then his approach is best in the field over the past 50 rounds. But if you go look at what he did in Phoenix, he wasn't hitting fairways for the first time since last year's tour championship. And realistically, the last time that he <clears throat> didn't beat the field in driving accuracy in consecutive rounds was the final round at the WGC St. Jude in the first round at the Northern Trust. And other than that, it's just all gaining on the field. But in both rounds in Phoenix, that was an issue for him. He dropped 2.4 and 2.5 strokes on accuracy versus the field. And the approach was not good. He didn't gain in either one of those rounds. Like, that's a bit worrisome. I know he's had time off now. And maybe this is the reason that he's not 28%. Because when I did the research show on Sunday, I thought it would be him or Sungjae who was the betting favorite. And now that he's not, mm -hmm. it felt like I should have just bet him instantly when he opened at like 16 or 18 to 1 and that I should be using him here. But it's almost like Swafford. It's like, do I really want to go down with the burger ship when he withdraws after four? holes I, I know that's what you need to do it on DraftKings especially in a week like this like if we're going to talk about variance I mean why not just have some in injury variance into it too that's what it is for me man it's it's we mentioned embracing the volatility on the course I guess we've got to embrace it off the course as well look he ended up playing through that tournament at the farmers he withdrew a pebble beach I heard him talk about it before the waste management and said that if Pebble Beach were a major, he absolutely would have played. It's not that bad. He feels much better. And then he went out and played like crap. Um, so I don't really know quite what to think. He's been home for a couple of weeks. I'm hoping that he's got some practice in and it's, it's that that's it for me. He's cheaper than both of them. And I don't think that he should be cheaper than both of them. And it looks like he's going to come in lower owned. I'm going to go with sort of embracing that volatility this week. So I have no problem playing him. And then Brooks is kind of the anomaly here because I think that he may come in the, the lowest owned. He's got decent history here. Can he drive it straight enough to get himself into contention? That's the big concern right now, but I don't know. Maybe is this Brooks week? Maybe. I, I've been on Brooks here before. He actually, Keith Mitchell broke my heart by making that putt on 18 to knock. Oh, Brooks, me too, man. To knock Brooks and Ricky out of that playoff. So that was a tough scene for me. I don't know what to do with Brooks here. I'm probably going to end up fading him. Like, I think I'd rather use Neiman. Yeah, Neiman is interesting to me. So initially on Monday, I was talking to Baroff about it, and, and we were both like, Neiman's going to withdraw. He's going to withdraw. I, he lives right around the corner from the course. Maybe he's not going to withdraw. It seemed like a big win for him he talked afterwards about how Saturday and Sunday felt like a month in terms of time it, it seemed to be a, you know it's got to be a highly stressful situation for anyone winning their first big time tournament like that and having to withhold you know all these players charging at him for for virtually the entire event I have some concerns there look Neiman what I noticed at the Genesis Pat was he was missing a lot of balls pretty far to the right, and he was getting away with it. Um, so he was still on that second shot, able to get it up near the green, and he scrambled phenomenally. Um, you don't get that here. When you miss far to the right, you're dropping and you're hitting three from 200 yards away. 
So that was a little bit concerning to me because I didn't feel like his driving accuracy was all the way there. Maybe it was just a, a, a matter of the pressure sort of building um, and everything that came into play with that. But yeah, he seems to be very low owned as well and definitely coming in with better form than Brooks. You can't deny that. Could it also be, I mean, maybe the driving was off because of the pressure, but Riviera is one of the few places where you know, not a lot of people hit the fairway. It's like a 55% fairway rate at that course and knowing like, hey, I can miss right, not a big deal because I can recover from it. So going into this course, knowing you can't do that, maybe it's a bit of a different strategy. Yes. And it's interesting that you're right. You can definitely take driver a ton there and know that if you get away with it, as long as you're not directly behind a tree, you're going to have a line to get close to the green. So you can play a little bit more aggressive off the tee there. You know, he gained a ton of strokes around the green and chipping. Obviously the Eagle chip in is what mm -hmm. ultimately I think won him the tournament there on the back nine. He chipped horribly here last year and oh, I, I had I had a ticket on him I, I and remember. it was one of his worst performances so that's kind of a weird thing maybe it has something to do with the grass or maybe he's just figured it out and got a lot better there it's true I we see this from Hovland too like I I just so distinctly remember from the players last year Hovland like chipping it two feet in front of him from like 30 yeah. yards out and just like having a laugh over it and he's gotten a lot better around the greens yeah. too but you always feel like that's going to rear its ugly head the, the prime example was Cantlay remember when every time the Cantlay used to be in a bunker it was an automatic bogey at least and now he's just great out of the bunker he's elite out of the bunkers now. So you're right. It is one of those things that players can, can seem to practice on and get with their coach and get better on relatively quickly. It's also, it's every shot is so much different. So it's hard to really analyze from a strokes gain perspective. If you're right in front of the green or behind it, whether it's the same distance or not, there's so many different factors in play on each of these shots that I think that the volatility is going to lie a lot in that, in terms of the lie that you get, are you going, are you downhill? Are you uphill? Um, but yes, I think that he is probably going to land somewhere in the middle of where he was last week and where he was last year at this event. Um, and obviously the form is coming in fantastic. I found it striking too. When I went back and look at Louis stats from this tournament, he's played it four times. He's lost strokes around the green every single time and a pretty substantial amount of strokes lost around the green, which is really atypical for Louis. So it might be a weird grass type, like you said, and the different types of lies that you're going to end up with the different types of greens. Because I went and looked, not only did I look at that, I looked at his overall, and Louis is very good around the greens. And generally at Nicholas courses outside of this one, very good around the greens. So I was like, maybe it's just something, it's something's going on with Louis here. So that's makes me a bit more hesitant to pull the trigger on him. But I think you've talked me into Berger as the play above $10,000. Just embrace that back volatility and let it ride. And then I'll probably have to try to figure it out between Sungjae and Louis because once we drop down to the 9Ks, I can start seeing a few more fades here. Like Fleetwood is the most expensive of the nines. He comes in at $9,900 and is going to have a ton of ownership. Billy Ho as well. I bet Billy Ho at 28 to one. He's now 18 to one. He's 9,600 bucks. You got Lowry, Norin, 94, 93. Matthew Wolf is 92. Killa Keith Mitchell, $9,100. He's also a former champion here. And Matt Jones, last year's winner, second tee to green last week at Riviera and lost four strokes putting. A very atypical of one Matt Jones. A very good scrambler, very good at bogey avoidance. He's down an even $9,000. No one is using Wolf. So do I just say, screw it this week and burger Wolf, let's go. <laughs> I'm using Wolf. So there's one person. Yeah, if we're going to embrace volatility, I love it. 
Um, I feel like Matt Wolf's going to win someone a huge amount of money. Maybe not this week, but coming up soon in DraftKings, I'm looking at some ownership projections and I know it's early, but he's like 5% owned. Um, look, we, I mentioned earlier that the driver can be a huge weapon or it can go horribly wrong for you here. If he gets it going well, he plays these shorter golf courses really well because he plays aggressive. So I think that he's going to hit driver a lot. If he can get it going in the right direction, I think he can score out here. He's pretty good in the wind as well. You know, he got that win at, um, at up the in 3M, Minnesota there. Which I would actually say correlates really well to this venue. Michael Same. Thompson's actually won it both too because it's all about just avoiding the massive amounts of water. Like there's water on 15 holes here. Yeah. There is water, I think, on 16 holes at TPC Twin Cities. And obviously he won, like you said. 100%. And that closing like 18th hole reminds me a lot of PGA National that he ended up eagling where there's water up the entire thing and you've just got to get it on in two. So his length can be a huge advantage here. He's a pretty good long iron player. You know, he hasn't played great to start 2022, but throughout through the fall, basically September through December, he led the PGA Tour in scoring average. And that was on a lot of these shorter golf courses in weaker fields, kind of like we see this week. I think he can come out here and has winning upside if he plays really well. I know that that's a risky play, but uh, I'm willing to score, sort of embrace it at that price point and really low ownership on Wolf. So Matthew Wolf, now that we've talked him up, he's going to be like 18% owned or something. But I, <laughs> I'm seeing the 5% number that you are. I, I bet you that settles around seven or eight, but I think that's good enough and probably still going to be the lowest of anyone in the 9K range. Then It's funny. Keith Mitchell is going to most likely be the highest owned. I thought it was going to be Fleetwood or Horschel, but it's looking like it might be Keith Mitchell. I'm good for a full fade on Keith Mitchell. I recognize that he's a good play this week. He's playing good golf. He's won at this tournament before. I think that Sony is another place that has a lot of crossover success. He's played really well there over the years, but I don't really want to mess around with a 19% owned Keith Mitchell when I can have Wolf, who's the better player, at a fourth of the ownership. You know, and you mentioned as, as well as he's checking in here, there's water and trouble everywhere on 15 holes. So he hits a couple in the water, makes a couple of double bogeys. He misses the cut. Um, that's kind of how this tournament always works. I'm, I'm surprised at Fleetwood's price. I kind of wanted to, you know, we all want to root for Tommy and we all want to have him in our lineups, but I can't get there anywhere near 9,900. He's just been playing really badly. And I know that he's kind of played this every other year. He was here in 2020 when we were here and finished third. Um, great course history here. Seems like the spot where he always gets his PGA Tour season started and tends to like it. But I have some, like, he's not like he's playing great even over on the European Tour when I looked at some of his finishes. At 12th at the Desert Classic, 48th in Abu Dhabi, 27th at the World Championship. I don't know about it. I'd be much more, I think Lowry's playing better than Fleetwood right now. And Lowry, I was on Lowry here last year as an outright bet. Like, I bet Billy Horschel outright. I no longer like his odds. Like, if you had to bet him right now, yeah. I wouldn't take the 18. And mm -hmm. part of the idea behind betting Horschel this week was I know that he has winning upside. He plays really well at hard courses. And when you just look at the different players in this field, he's one of the better players, especially when it yeah. comes to world ranking, the amount of big wins that he's had in his career. But I don't know if he's a great DraftKings play because nothing actually, he has these good results so far from early in the season, but he's not actually doing anything well. He just keeps lingering. So sort of the bet on him is that he's going to get it together 
hit his approaches really well and have a really good putting week at the same time. But that hasn't happened yet, yet he is still lingering around because he's chipping in from weird places. He drives the ball well like one week. It's a lot like the, the, the old Sungjae strategy. When we used to look at the Sungjae tee to green numbers, that he would do mm-hmm. two of three really well and one really bad. We're like, well, one week he's going to put this together and just start winning. And it finally happened. But with Horschel, if he's going to be around like, 16 to 20%. Fleetwood's like 12 to 16%. Mitchell's around 20. I have no problem going to like Lowry, Norin, and I think maybe not Norin. Wolf and Matt Jones for sure, though. I like Matt Jones a lot this week. I do too. He played awesome at the Sony. He played awesome at the Century as well. Um, so some good corollaries there. Shot the course record here last year, which was a 61 on the opening round. And that's tough to, to hold on to. Like we saw Neiman struggle with it. He was able to do that. He mentioned that he really loves uh, these conditions, this course. He likes playing in the wind if we do get a little bit of wind this week. Um, so I don't mind him at all. I'm pretty much my strategy, I think, at the top this week is, is just kind of go where the ownership takes me because we're going to see um, it's very tough to predict. And there's a lot of nuances to the golf course that make it very difficult and make missing the cut to finishing in the top 10, both within the spectrum of outcomes. So I think I'm going to kind of go where the ownership takes me. $8,000 range this week. We have Mito Pereira at $8,900. He is followed by Patrick Reed at $8,800, who might be 1% owned. What do we do? (laughs) Uh, Patrick Reed, I, I wish I could have something nice to say about him, but it's so bad right now, Pat. It should be an autoplay thinking that he can just get himself up and down around the green here. And he's gained strokes around the green here before, but um, you can't be one thirty seventh in ball striking and warrant a play at 8,800. <laughs> he's only missed one cut so far this season in fairness to him. I know. And, and, you know, we, it, we've seen him play poorly and then all of a sudden play really well. I don't know that we've seen him play this poorly and then all of a sudden completely flip the switch um there are some other plays down here a little bit lower in the 8k range that I, that i like a little more uh, are they vegas and wise who i really like but i think the world likes both those guys i don't like vegas wise i have some interest in the guy that i'm i wanted to kind of sort of sort through with you what about cameron young um he was really good last week and i was very impressed with Um, given his length off the tee, how accurate he was. I thought that he was hitting more fairways than anyone in those final groups. He kind of stood up there in a big time event with the top 10 players in the world and held his position very firmly since October. um, You know, he's got two seconds. He's got three consecutive top 26 finishes. He's gained 14 strokes off the tee, excuse me, and the farmers, the genesis, the waste management, these are big time fields. It's not like he was doing this at the Mayakoba and the Bermuda. Um, he's been really, really good. And I'm wondering if he can kind of keep that rolling because if he's able to be accurate off the tee with his length, he should give himself a lot of birdie looks. The issue is what happens if he's not accurate this week or as accurate as he was a week ago? It feels like he's putting sure. eights on the scorecard. Yeah, that's that, that's going to be the thing. So he's number one in birdies or better gains. So he's obviously had that going, but that goes hand in hand with being number one off the tee. So if one goes wrong, the other obviously is going to follow suit. So that's that's sort of the the issue with Cam Young there. What do we do with Woodland at eighty two hundred bucks? I think he's. I think I'm going to end up. I haven't made like my final bets yet. 
it feels like I'm going to end up on Woodland just because in the preseason to golf, or at least the lead up to the calendar flip, I was like, Woodland's going to pay off this year to someone. And he's 60 to one, 65 to one. He's played well at this course in the past. I always like Gary at shorter courses where he can club down. That's where he's had the most success in his career. He's won Valspar in the past. Obviously he won the U S open at Pebble beach. He's played well at this tournament before as well. I just don't know where he's at. And it seems like he should be like 7,200, not 8,200. I'm more comfortable betting Gary outright than I am playing him in DraftKings this week. I like the two guys under him a little bit more. We are not, um, I, we are not, not gonna... we are not playing Russell Knox, sir. We're not doing it. Okay. What about, what about Bezadenhut? Can we play him? I mean, I bet him, but yeah, of course. We okay. Can. We can always play Cebes. Yeah. He's really good. Uh, he's been good at, uh, at scrambling. He's been really good at sand saves. He's been good at par four scoring. He's doing everything really well. If he can just marry that up with a good putting week, I think down at the floor there at $8,000, I know that he's going to garner quite a bit of ownership, but I, I feel like if you take some of those guys we mentioned up top and Wolf, Kepka, Berger, those type of types where you can, you can avoid a little bit of that high-owned player, you can eat a little bit of it up here in that 8K range. Why no Knox for you? No love there? I, listen, I like Knox fine. When he comes in at like 41% ownership, you give me a call. Everyone likes Knox this week. Do you know he's the best player on the bear trap in history? Yeah, that's when he comes out 41%. Oh, that's your fault for that early newsletter and tweeting out that stat that everyone's going to kind of latch on to. But yeah, surprising that he's uh minus six through there. And I think who was it that was that was 40 over at the bear trap? Was it Palmer? Yeah, it, it was Mr. Ryan Palmer, who actually is like Knox and Palmer lost in the same playoff to Henley here one year. Yeah, and they both have really good course history, which is ironic because one's the best and one's the worst at one of the hardest stretches on tour. So. Who, who knows? By the way, I, I put this in the newsletter and in my column up on DKNation.com, but holes five, six, and seven are just as tough as the bear trap. 100%. I love those group, that group of holes. I have coined them my own nickname for those holes, and it's Alligator Alley. Um, all the gators combine there. You've got the two difficult par threes, which are actually longer than the two holes on the bear trap, and I think equally as hard. There's not as much water but number seven is brutal. It's uphill. It's like 225. It's a ridiculously contoured green with multiple tiers. And six is a par five that they've basically turned into a par four. Uh, but six and 10 are par fives when, when you or I or anyone goes out and play this course and they turn them into par fours for this event to bring it down to a par 70. But that hole is difficult. The water is all the way up the left-hand side. The right is a terrible miss because you're either on a hillside. But that is a difficult stretch of holes that is, that is almost equally right there with the bear trap. I think uh, by a per scoring average since 2007, it plays exactly the same. It's like you said, Alligator Alley is pretty good. I think we can get on board with that. It's essentially the bear well, trap with a bad agent. Yeah. <laughs> that's, my, that's my story, man. Looking at ownership from these 8Ks, Mito is likely to be the highest owned, I think, because I think that Vegas and Wise divvy up their ownership a little bit. And then Knox really does take away from Bezadenhout. I'd be... I wouldn't be surprised if Bezadenhout ended up above 15%, but I bet you he's closer to 10 than 15. I don't, yes, I don't, I'm not there on Mito. I've got this theory with Mito that I'm willing to sort of play him when the price is down and the odds price is up. 
when he has a good week, everyone seems to jump back on board. He seems to be very popular. I've heard his name circulated quite a bit this week. So um, I'll be a full fade there. I have, I haven't dug too much into it yet, but just with him sort of right under me, toe, anything on Brian Harmon you got that could kind of steer me onto him? A decent finish at Phoenix, played well at the Amex with the top three there. Seems kind of like this course may be in his wheelhouse, although I haven't looked a ton at the history. Uh, I remember betting him giant outright one year, and I think he finished 13 over par, so that was fun. But other than that year, he's actually been quite good at PGA National. I actually have more interest in Mac Hughes. Okay. Now we're talking uh, my Kent State Golden Flash friend and your uh, Canadian brethren. So, yeah, he was here for the he was right in the mix here at the infamous DFS Open weekend as well, where where Feinberg had that friendly interaction with his parents. <laughs> that, that is true. After he like duck hooked it on the approach on 18 and that was the end of old Mac Hughes. He almost got away with it because that grandstand is free relief there. But yeah, uh, anytime that scrambling and putting is going to play a big uh, factor in the end result, you love Mac Hughes. It's just, are you willing to bet on the upside of him um, hooping in 45 footers regularly? I mean, For me, it's the yeah, answer yes, you typically yeah, know there. If you take Mac Hughes, that is what you're betting on, by the way. It is. And he does it. So it's, it's, not like it's an anomaly when it happens. It consistently happens for him. Um, obviously, this is a place where he feels very comfortable coming back to with some good performances. I think he can be right there. You you know, that's not a bad play. If he comes in very low on there, right at the $8,300 mark, you may be able to kind of pivot off some of that wise in Vegas ownership that you mentioned earlier and, and go to a guy and take the upside in Hughes. I think I'll work him in. Depends on how many lineups I end up with this week. He'll probably be 50, so he'll end up making the making the plays at some point. How many how many lineups do you normally play? I don't play a ton, Pat. I'm normally between like three and six lineups. I like a lot more of the single entries, but I am nowhere near uh, entering in 150. So even when you like, you won the 200K last year, or was it two years ago? I finished second in That's the one where when, but it was when they sort of bumped up the, uh, the, the price amounts during the, the COVID swing there, you could call it. So uh, it was a decent chunk of change for second, but it was in the drive to the green contest, but I only entered in three lineups that week. So I proved that it is possible to, to slay the sharks. If you get the lineup, right. Well, Jamie, who won the $20 last week, I think had the single entry. Viewer of the show, shout out Jamie, won 300K, and I think it was a single bullet into the 20 day. It may have been like three lineups, something like that. That's amazing. Look, I like to hand build. I enjoy the process of selecting guys, pulling them in and out, and sort of really um, analyzing my lineup pretty deeply rather than just kind of exporting a spreadsheet. There are different ways to sort of go about it, but um, I enjoy that process every week. I think that it helps me. So uh, I'm going to stick with my strategy and, and just enter in a couple of bullets. $7,000 range. I do want to remind everyone right now is that prize picks has changed their golf rules. They're now offering like single hole over unders uh, based on scores. It's actually pretty awesome. If you want to get down and get some in-play action on the go and you don't want to live bet holes, you can put two things together with that, like over under four and a half on this par five, over under three on one of these par threes, that kind of thing. It's probably, probably like three and a half on some of the bear trap ones. But they have everything out really early now. So go to prizepicks.com, use code M. 
M-M-N for Mayo Media Network. You can get yourself a deposit bonus of 100 bucks. If you deposit 100, you get 100. You deposit 50, you get 50. Uh, but either way, their golf product is vastly improved over the past three weeks or so. So prizepix.com, code MMN to check that out right now. You can find the link down in the description. It brings you right there. So go do that. 7K, you got Ricky. No is my stance. <laughs> no is my stance too. He's too loose right now off the tee. I know the course history here is great. Um, I think he's getting the bump for that in pricing where he probably is four or 500 bucks too high here for me. But um, yeah, no is my stance. I think he's, he's way too, he's, he's got left miss. He's got right miss working. And that is a recipe for disaster at PJ national. Yeah. If, if listen, at least if you know that you're always missing, right, it feels like you can compensate for that a little bit, at least within a round. If you have legit, no idea which way it's going, that's going to be an issue. Big time. Is there anyone else in these high sevens that you like? I've heard buzz about the Panimal CT pan, obviously Denny McCarthy at a course where you need to make a ton of putts. Oh, people are going to love him. K.H. Lee, someone who's made a run. Uh, Lee Westwood is Ander Kirst. The numbers really like Taylor Moore for me. They also really like Ryan Palmer. That doesn't factor in. Maybe maybe him and Russell Knox can fuse to be the same player. Knox just plays the bear trap. Ryan Palmer plays the rest of the 15 holes, and they win the tournament. Yeah, I, if only that were possible. I like Denny. Um, I know people have a love-hate relationship with Denny. I'm still confident that eventually one of these weeks he's going to line up a decent ball striking week and that putting is going to win him a golf tournament this is a great spot for him finished third here i believe last year he's been really good in par four scoring pad i have him ranked number one overall in the field over the last 36 rounds which is was quite surprising to me when i sort of dove into it um only two par fives this week so an abundance of par fours we know he's going to putt well. He's not going to putt himself out of this tournament. So if he can just be accurate enough off the tee, which has been historically his issue, although he's on a good run now, I think that he can find himself uh, within sort of the top 10, top 20. I think 7,800 is a little bit of a higher price point, but that could potentially deter some ownership away there with Palmer and Westwood guys who typically uh, like their way around PGA National. I just feel like Denny's low rent Bazadenhout. Yes, um, I think that is a very fair comp for Denny. Uh, I feel like he's normally a better putter, although things have been going well for him. You know, when I look at his recent run that he's on right now, I know a lot of it was during sort of the fall swing, but sixth at the Amex, 10th at the RSM, you know, he's got some top tens that he's mixed in there. He still hasn't yet to find himself firmly sort of in contention in an event besides this event last year, although Matt Jones kind of had that wrapped up. Um, I would like to see it come in. Hopefully he can find one of those weeks where he gains like seven strokes putting and just plays level to the field, sort of tee to green, and he'll be all right. I think I would rather just pay up and take Bizadenhout, although he's, I mean, Denny's drawing a ton of ownership. Like he's probably going to be the most owned guy of all the ones that we've just mentioned, even more than Ricky and Pan yeah. and KH Lee. Don't like that. I just feel like he should be $1,000 cheaper. That's Denny should be auto 6,900 every single week. Like that's just where he should be for his volatility, what his skill set is. And if I want to go down to a player I actually like better than Denny, who has won more than Denny, and I think is just a better player, Brennan Todd is. 7,500 bucks, who's sneaky playing a lot better right now. 
Yeah, you're right. Um, you want a guy that's going to hit a lot of fairways? Brendan Todd's your guy. And he's right there uh, between Michael Thompson and Ricky, which could sort of be a nice little pivot off both of them and sort of keep his ownership at bay. Um, what do you, when you say he's playing a lot better, what are some of his recent finishes? He was 26th in Phoenix. He was 16th at Pebble Beach, 48th at the Sony, 11th at Mayakoba. So he's made four of his past six cuts. And those are pretty good performances. And I mean, the Pebble, he pops a T16 in a stronger field than yeah. Phoenix. It's a T26. And I mean, at Pebble Beach, it wasn't even due to his putting. It was due to his approach. Like he had two really great approach weeks at the Amex in Pebble Beach. He gained again in Phoenix. It wasn't a ton and putted the lights out that week. Like he's another one of these guys that you, you talk about Denny. Can you match him up a good ball striking week yeah. when he actually rolls it well with the putter? I feel like Todd does that more often than not. He's just a better iron player. And while he's never going to gain a ton off the tee, he may actually this week because it's very unlikely he's going into the water too much. He might hit it like 220 off the tee, but he's not going to be in the water. Hundred percent, number one in fairways gained. So yeah, he's going to keep himself in the fairway and the rough is there's not much of it. But when you are in it, it's very negligible. Um, it's low. It's easy to sort of get out of. As long as you can keep it out of the water, you are going to gain strokes off the tee this week. And he gets a nice bump from the course history game too. Like his past three appearances at the Honda have been miscut, miscut, miscut. But if you remember anything about Brennan Todd, those were from the years. 2012, 2014, and 2016. He's not the player he was when he won twice two years ago, but he's also not the player who basically lost his tour card for five years in this stretch either. Yeah, he's a lot closer to that player who who won recently at very short coastal Bermuda grass courses, similar to what we're going to kind of have this week. So um, that makes a lot of sense to me at 7,500. There's a guy right under there, if we're going to kind of embrace a little bit of volatility, I kind of like Garrick Higo this week. Um, he just, I, I, I love that he kind of goes for it. He's been pretty decent as of late in terms of, of both two starts. He's got top 25s. Granted, one of those was in like the 35-man field at the century. Uh, but he gained almost six strokes tee to green at the waste management. So I like, it's, it's kind of a weird comp because we may never see this event again, but the Palmetto last year, was a Fazio course on a lot of water. This actually is a Tom Fazio designed course. Nicholas kind of came in, I believe, in 2014 and redid a couple of things and sort of claimed it as his course. But it's originally a Fazio design. That's where Higo broke through and got his win last year. So um, we've talked about some notable South Africans in Louis and Bazadenhut. I think Higo may be like 5% owned this week. And at 7300 bucks makes a good bit of sense to me. You don't have to sell me on Higo. That's my guy. Uh, the new guy that I have, he, I just auto bet him every week on the Euro Tour for like two straight years. Then it finally paid off because he went like back to back events. And then all of a sudden yes. I came second in the mini max the week that he won the Palmetto because I was so overweight on Higo because I love him so much. I'm definitely playing Higo here. I might even end up betting him at 125 to one. I'm, I'm trying to figure out what to do with like the, the rest of the money that I have to allocate towards my betting card this week. Do I take Woodland, Wise, or Vegas? Or do I just say screw it and take like Todd and Higo at for not even as as much money at way deeper prices. I think that's the route that I'm starting to think about right now. You mentioned Michael Thompson. I love Michael Thompson this week. I bet Michael Thompson this week. I think he is a great type of player to embrace the volatility with. Kirk is the same price as Thompson. I think he's going to be popular. And then right below him, you have... Lucas Glover and Aaron Rye. The numbers love Aaron Rye this week. He rates out number five for me. But I'm actually thinking that I might pivot and just go with Lucas Glover. 
enough people have been burned by Lucas Glover lately, and it can most definitely happen again, that I don't think that he's going to garner much ownership. But he, I did the crossover between like who gains the most strokes combined over the past 24 rounds between PGA National and Wiley for the Sony Open, and it was Lucas Glover, and it wasn't close. Yeah, he does a lot of it with the putter. He's got a ton of, of good quality history here. And when I looked at it, he's doing it in, in different assets in different years. Last year, I believe it was the putter. Before that, it was ball striking and off the tee. So if he can kind of marry those, a lot of them together uh, for four days, he should be firmly in contention. I love the way that you mentioned that he played at Wiley this year. I lean him a little bit more than, than Rye for, for, for myself. Rye is going to be like Brennan Todd, by the way. He's just not going to miss fairways. Yeah. So that's the wind how- picks up a little bit. I like him a little bit more too, because he's used to some of those, those European tour shorter layouts where the, you know, the weather can be a big factor. I don't know that that's going to happen this week, but um, you look at those ball striking numbers and the T to green numbers, and you sort of marry those two together. You're right. He's going to be in the fairway a lot. He's going to hit a lot of greens. And ultimately what we've seen at this tournament, if you can get it to like two, maybe three under a day, you're going to be right there on the leaderboard come Sunday afternoon. Uh, Do you have interest in Chris Kirk or someone like Grayson Sig a better play who's just made every cut so far this year. No great finishes, mind you. Although he was in it at Pebble Beach and faltered on the final day, but no finish better than 25th, no finish worse than 42nd. A little more on Kirk for me if I were going to lean one of the two guys. But uh, for me, I'm probably going to, you know, given that I only play three to five lineups, I'm going to shift more to those guys that that we spoke about before. Higo, uh, you kind of sold me on Todd a little bit I like me some Denny I like Adam Svensson too who we didn't quite mention right at the very floor of this 7k range uh, but those will kind of be my guys that I'm going to build my core around we've got to mention him I suppose and I don't know what to do with him whatsoever but Nikolai Hogard is in this field yeah making his like real PGA debut here in like a non-major type tournament he just won overseas during the Middle East swing it was it was at like the bad tournament it was the one after Saudi the one where they played like two weeks in a row uh, in I think it was in Saudi Arabia. I think it was. I'm not entirely sure on that. It was somewhere over in the Middle East. But he like wins or comes dead last. He's Euro C Woo. He's Euro C Woo. That's great. Uh, I don't know a whole lot about Nikolai Hogart. It'll be interesting to kind of get see him make his first start. We've seen these sort of guys who are used to playing on the European tour kind of drop right into Palm Beach County here and, and play well from the jump. Maybe he can do it. You mentioned embracing the volatility. For me, it'll kind of come down to um, how popular is he going to be? I got him at like 2% right now. So there, it very much could be a play if you're playing a lot of lineups this week, play him. Yeah, like would you, would you rather play Poulter or Hogard? Poulter has had success here. I, I just don't know enough about Hogard for me. I would rather play Poulter, but I think that given the ownership at 2%, I'd rather take my chance on Hogard. It's, it's not like people are using Poulter at the same time either, though. Right. Because people hate his guts. Do you think he's going to yeah. leave? Is, is he going to leave? For, are they still doing the Saudi League? And if they do, is he in it? <laughs> I don't know. I feel like there's it changes every day. I'm so nervous to kind of give a take on it because everyone I feel like who has is end up very wrong a couple of days later. Um, he would make very much sense for this. Westwood would make sense for this. Fleetwood would make sense for it. Um, a lot of the guys in this field would be perfect for the Saudi tour uh, if they want to take the money until the numbers start to come out. I think that that's going to make the ultimate decision for them. If the cash is there and they want to grab it, I have no issue with it. Um, 
we'll see. He would be a very, very likely and strong candidate if they are able to make it happen. The bottom of the sevens is kind of ridiculous for the amount of guys that I like this week, so I need to parse a few of them out here. So we have, here's an entire list of guys that I like. Uh, And this isn't even including someone like Brennan Steele or Nick Taylor, who I do like, or Lucas Herbert or Martin Keimer, who are a bit pricier. I do like all those guys, but I have to cut them out because I like these guys a little bit more. Swafford we talked about, Alex Smalley, Davis Riley, Danny Willett, and Adam Svensson are all at seventy-one or seven thousand dollars. I can't imagine I can play all of these guys. Where where do I make my cuts? Let me try to sell you on Svensson. I love. Did you, him. Hold on, he hold is, on, hold on. Did you say Stenson? Svensson, Svensson. Okay. No, okay, Henrik is. Okay. I'm not going to sell you on Henrik Stenson unless he. Uh, he does have the nice shot that I tweeted out earlier this week where he stripped down into the tidy whiteies at this event. So he's been here quite a few times. He's a big time no play uh, red line through his name for me at this point. But Adam Svensson is not um, top 10 in fairways game. He's really good with his long irons, even though that he isn't a long player, which is kind of an unusual asset to have. But um, in terms of rankings from 175 to 200, I got him in like the top 10 in the field over recently, ninth in approach. He's won a ton. He's won Corn Ferry Tour events. He almost got the promotion last year that Mito got. He finished, I believe he had two wins in a couple of seconds. He won another event down here during the COVID swing where there was a lot of PGA Tour names on uh, when PGA Tour kind of was, was on a little bit of a hiatus. So from the area, I really like his game. I think that he sets up really well at the bottom floor here at seven grand. Okay, I think you completely sold me. The The way that I'm thinking about it right now, like I mentioned, smash the like and put drop your two favorite 6K plays down into the description. But if you just wanted to anchor your lineups with like three $7,000 guys, that still gives you access to the very top end and jam in whoever you want. It's not one of these weeks where you need to go like, oh, I have Louie and Sungjae, so I have to go 62, 6,200. Now, you, as long as you're willing to embrace the three guys at 7,000, you can probably stop there and anchor your teams if you wanted to. I'm not saying you have to, but there's enough good names in this region that, that I think that you most definitely could. No doubt. Sabatini's got a win here before. He's super volatile. Kevin Streelman, I don't know what his history is like. Bad. It seems his, like his, a guy that... His history, his history should be really good here, but it's not. It should be. Exactly. I was going to say, it seems like it should be a good setup for him. We got our boy Willett here as well. Doc Redman has had a couple of decent starts in a row. I'm kind of afraid to say his name, but um, you know, a year and a half ago when we were going to talk ball striking, we basically had to mention Doc Redman. I know that that's fallen off. Made a couple of cuts. He was second. At, I believe he had a second or a third at that Palmetto that Higo won. So a decent performance there. But you're right. I think you can stack a couple of these guys and hope to sort of, uh, you know, everything works out for you. Sam Ryder's starting to play a lot better golf, too. Was eighth here a year ago. Has made the past two cuts in Phoenix and in Genesis to very good fields. This field is way weaker. And I think it sets up a little bit better for what he does. I don't know if I really want to, you know, ride with him this week, especially with all those other names around, but he does seem to be someone who scores really well for DraftKings because for whatever reason, he makes a ton of Eagles. Yeah. Um, I've heard his name mentioned a couple of times. I can see getting behind him. What's his price point at Ryder? 72. I see it right now. Yeah. 7,200. Yeah. Makes sense. I'll throw him on the short list. This is probably going to mean that I don't play Hudson Swafford, who does project to be the highest owned of all these guys. 
Yeah, we talked about him early in the show. You're right. If he's highest owned, I don't mind. We'll see kind of how that shakes out later tomorrow and, and Wednesday afternoon. Um, but yeah, I don't mind shifting gears, especially down in the sevens with, with the way this course set up. You can really kind of uh, throw a couple of darts, I think. And because I say highest owned, I'm not talking about like 17%. I'm talking about like 8 to 10% owned is where I probably have him coming in. So it's not you know prohibitive that you couldn't use him because of ownership. At the same time, you can have Davis Riley for like 0.1% ownership. I like Davis Riley this week. It seems like he plays really well on hard courses, plays really well on the wind, and just no one even knows who he is. Yeah, makes a lot of birdies. Uh, every time that I see him, he has a lot of them. He's got to make sure that he avoids the bogeys and the double bogeys, particularly this week. But um, if he can card four or five birdies in a round, he should set himself up nicely. $6,000 range. Now, it's not great. Harry Higgs, yeah. 6800 bucks. That's basically all I got. Duffner is like the king of this course. I just, he terrifies me. I know. He terrifies me too. Um, Higgs is interesting. He's been doing it a lot with the putter, particularly here. So I got a guy started here. I want to ask you about, because he's kind of your boy. Last year, he was like, everyone was on him at like 40 to one. He was 40 to one at this event. He's like 160 to one. Now he had made like eight consecutive cuts before last week. What about your boy, the Gim Reaper? Can we go back to him here at 6,800? Well, yeah, I, I, anyone who's watching this show knows that he was 40 to one here last year. I think he was like 40 or 45 to one and everyone was betting him. Cause I look back at the odds and remember that, but I looked at my card from last year. Yeah, I mean, I've already bet him at, I think it's 140 to 1, so why not play him at 6,800? I bet Patty Harrington, too, at 6,700 bucks. I like Harrington this week. Okay. When's the last time we saw him play in a PGA Tour event? Probably the PGA Championship last year. Yeah, it's came, been a little while. He, you know, Kadira got in. He, he came fourth at that PGA Championship, right. by the way. You're right. Uh, you're totally 100% right. Uh, coastal, windy day. Uh, Patty Harrington showed up and gave fourth, which was amazing. So yeah, previous champion here as well, where he wanted a huge number. I believe he's, he was, did he beat Berger that year? He did. He was a hundred to one beat Berger in the playoff, which I, Jeff pointed out on the Monday show. We vividly remember because we had bet Poulter and Berger that week. That was Berger's rookie year. Jeff was all in on a Jewish golfer. I was like, this guy's actually really good too. So we should probably use him. He went to FSU. So he's probably pretty familiar with this course. Uh, then we had those two. And of course they came second and third. That's always how it goes. That's always how it goes. Yeah. Um, when you're on early on a guy, you get a couple of seconds and then you get off him when the odds go down a little bit and he wins. Um, another guy here, I believe he's 6,800 been really solid on approach hitting his irons really well. I don't know a ton about him, but Sm I'm interested the in smother man. Yeah. The smother man. Um, he's doing it, man, with his irons. We'll see 11th at the farmers, 33rd at pebble at 6,800. You get either of those finishes. You're pretty happy with it. I think I'd rather go same price Kramer Hickok for what he does well. Yeah. He scores on par fours. He hits a ton of fairways, and the irons have been really good recently. I think that's where I'd rather go over Smotherman. So that so that now I've dropped into Hickok, Gim, for whatever reason I had Von Taylor highlighted. Probably don't want to do that. Maybe I do. Who knows? Patty Harrington, and I have Higgs on the short list right now because I wanted to look at that leaderboard from last year at the PGA championship at Kiowa. Like it's all guys that have played well at this course in the past, Louie Brooks, Patty Lowry, Higgs, Fowler, Finau, Rose. Like 
that reads as a list of guys who played well at PGA National. Yeah, even Phil actually randomly played this event last year and had a surprising finish. So um, you're right, a lot of guys that play well at PGA, you start to get too low here and there's a lot of random names. The field strength kind of really drops off. I don't know, maybe I thought about Kadira. I thought about Armour there in the sort of mid-sixes, the guys who just hit a lot of fairways and you're just kind of hoping don't find too much trouble, uh, which is unlikely, and they can make enough putts. We'll see. Uh, the numbers love Hayden Buckley. I can tell you that. Yeah, they do. Not entirely sure why they like him so much. He ranks 16th in this field over the past 24 rounds. 6,600 bucks. They, the numbers also really like Nick Watney, who I bet as first round leader, but I, that might be all the investment I want. Like These are guys I'm talking about. Like If I expand to 50 lineups, these are the guys that are going to start getting included. I think if I keep it more condensed, play 10, play 20, these guys immediately get the cut. But if I do need some salary savings to build a bit more like top heavy lineups or just have that mm-hmm. one-off who's really low Hayden Buckley Kadira, who you mentioned at $6,600 Nick Watney at 6,000 who else kind of pops up Burgoon does really well Duffner is like 24th of all players I just can't do it man I can't he's $6,200 I don't think he's ever missed a cut here <laughs> wow that's impressive. Um, 13 of 13. Not a, ca- 13 and 13, Paul just tells me from behind the camera. Because Paul brought this to me yesterday. He's like, Why don't you, coward? <laughs> I don't want to be That's called amazing. a coward. I don't want to be called a coward on my own show. I, 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 oh, man. He's so bad, though. So bad. It's been really bad. I looked a little bit at Brandon Hankey just because it's finished last year, but he's been really bad lately. Another, like, approach numbers. What's Luke Donald been doing that he is fourth in approach in sort of my rankings? Because I don't understand it. I haven't seen him anywhere, but um, does that do anything for you? No, I I, I see it every single week just because the approach numbers have been yeah. absolutely sterling. He can't do anything else. I know. He can't do anything else. He's simply enough said. Yeah, there, there's just one problem. He's not any good because it's not 2008. Yeah. Speaking of 2008, here's a guy, like he was like first round leader here. Wesley Bryan. Oh, Wesley. How is he been playing corn Ferry? Well, he finished 27th at the Sony, which I thought was decent. Missed the cut at the Phoenix open, missed the cut at the Amex. Isn't great. Always volatile. But I can remember when uh, he kind of ran away with this with like an eight under first round. And it was went back when he was playing really well. I don't know, maybe a decent get right spot for him. He's cheap. If we're going to embrace volatility, he seems like a guy that can kind of fit that mold. If you want to go really top heavy, 6,200 bucks. So you can probably play Louie and another high end, you know, like a Louie Horschel lineup or, or even an M Horschel lineup. Or Louie Berger. You, you, you can play Louie Berger, I bet. Louie Berger and yeah. like one of these guys. And then all of a sudden you're, you're, you're back to like median style if you want to hit that mid range. Yeah, I don't want to be right. bullied on my own show and called a coward. So Jason Duffner's currently in the player pool at $6,200. He's in the pool. There you have it. <laughs> Here's, do you want to know what his recent results are? Let him rip. Starting at the Bermuda Championship. Not the strongest field. Miscut, miscut. T40 at the Amex. Miscut. Went over to Saudi. Miscut. Came back for Phoenix. Miscut. Strong, strong, strong. play from Jason Duffner. Very strong. We'll see. Um, another guy I wanted to mention that got in on the 16 to one playoff this morning is Rick Lamb. I know nothing about Rick Lamb, but he might come in at $6,000 even and maybe worth a click in a single lineup. Did Seifert not get in? 
So Seaford, I believe, is first alternate right now. So at, at the point this morning, he did not play because he still hadn't got that. So he's waiting. He's probably hoping for a, for a Joaquin Neiman hangover withdrawal at this point. I would play Seifert. I think Seifert was top 10 last year here. Third. Third. There we go. My guy. Chase, yeah. Actually, it's Raza's guy, Chase Seifert. He was the first one who, it was back when we didn't even know what his last name was. What was he, Seifert? Seifert. And then he finally made yeah. TV. It's like, oh, that's how you say it. Ah, good old Florida boy down here, born and raised, played at Florida State, had a T3 at the Hondo. We'll, we love guys like that if he can find his way into the field. Well, what is the FSU lineup? It's Brooks, Berger, Seifert. Who else is on that list? Oh, wow. I don't know. That might round it out. I'll have to kind of parse through it again, but I don't know anyone else off the top. FSU. It's a decent I- start, though. Uh, let's see. John, John Pack is not in the field. Neither is Jonas Blixt. Paul Azinger is not playing. Hank Lebiota, is he in the field? He is. Where was he? I don't know. I didn't even see him. What is he like? $5,000? Lebiota. He is 6,500. So there's another one. Uh, Seifert would be another. Too bad Vincent Norman isn't in this field. I guess he'd try to drive every single green, but... Jack yeah. Jack McGuire is that someone? Someone named Kenny Knox, who legit looks like an amalgamation of Kenny Kim and Russell Knox somehow. <laughs> Man, bad, bad. Yeah, see, I gotta look at this picture like, now. Can it, we bring it, him up? Yeah, you, you can go look at Kenny Knox. Like if you, except for John Pack, really, if you went to FSU and you made the PGA Tour, you suffer from bad hairlines. Like except for Kenny Knox. Kenny Knox, full head of hair. <laughs> yeah. Brooks fully blonde now. So we'll see if that pays off for him. Brooks and Berger. You think they're friends? They went to school there together. I don't feel like they like each other though. Does, does anyone like, or like, I, I could not tell you who Brooks like has as a friend on the PGA tour. Remember when it was like him and Dustin were like good boys. And then like all of a sudden, like they hate each other. I, I know. Does Brooks just have fake feuds with everyone? He might. Um, I think that a lot of guys, I think he's sort of boys with JT. I don't know. You're right. Um, he's, he's an interesting dude. I am team Brooks. I'm going to be there. I'm worried about not taking him and him winning. Uh, but we'll see. Uh, I think this could be a nice spot for him. I'm worried about his driving accuracy. So ever since he switched to these tricks on clubs, Pat, he's been like wild off the tee. Um, that's going to get him into a ton of trouble here. When he did play well, when he finished with in, you know, right behind Keith Mitchell, that was when he was driving it probably the best in the world. Uh, when he was winning majors at a, at a clip we hadn't seen in a long time. So we'll see about Brooks. Play the best plays on DraftKings. Can we construct basically what I would consider to be like a cash game lineup? Not that I play cash game lineups for golf. Or, you know what? I don't play cash game lineups. I don't play cash games on DraftKings. Nope. I'd much rather play like a, a 50-person GPP uh, at that point and just still have it a bit more top-heavy. I'm not super interested in doubling up. Not why I play DraftKings, Joe, to double my money. I'm there to win uh, multipliers of the money that I put in. Leads to a lot of losing weeks, but when you win, it's going to turn out fine. But if we were going to build a quote-unquote safe lineup the play the best plays lineup how do we go about constructing this because does, does sung jay have to be in it or does it is it like yeah. or does it start with like horschel fleetwood mitchell like are those the three guys that we go with i don't know how safe fleetwood is i would say if you're if we're gonna play safe like sung jay probably has 
the highest floor here in terms of bad results. He's such a good ball striker. It sets up great for him. I, I don't love the $11,000 price point, but I think that he um, is the steadiest of any of these guys, basically down until down until Porsche that you can, you know, you're, you're going to get the result that you expect most likely out of Sungjae. Jason Duffner. Got to put Duffner in there. <laughs> uh, I'm just trying to, I'm trying to go. I mean, usually when we talk about this, like what lineups actually make sense, where are people actually going to start? So I think Sung Jae has to be, it's Sung Jae or Louie, right? Like those are going to be the two guys yeah. that are up there. Louis is $200 less. Like that's not that big of a deal. The lineup I've currently mm-hmm. constructed only has $3,400 remaining. So I probably have to remove some of these guys, but could we go Sung Jae, Mitchell Horschel? That gives us $6,700. Maybe we have to get rid of Horschel there and just go Sung Sung Jay and Keith Mitchell, who are both popping off the chart in terms of ownership. Yeah, where does I, I think Mitchell sets up great? You're right. I think he's going to be too high owned for me in terms of most of the the bigger single entry GPPs that I'm going to play. But if you're playing a cash game or you just want someone safe, he checks pretty much all the boxes coming into this week. The issue then becomes that no one is safe this week, as we've constantly talked about this entire time. So. You could put Mito into that lineup. I mean, Russell Knox is most definitely in this lineup because everyone's playing Russell Knox. Are we just playing the, the highest ownership lineup? If, yeah. If so, yeah, then the, Russell Knox is in there. Yeah. That, I mean, is, we're not necessarily playing the highest ownership, but like, what's can, can we construct the most common lineup? Like, if we wanted to be duped without knowing it, what lineup could we build? And I feel like we're, we're well on our way here. Yeah. Um, Swafford might be in there as well. I feel like he's going to come in around around 10%. So um, he could be there at 7,100, I think, is in there in the low sevens. I, I'm seeing a lot of love for Aaron Rye at $7,400. Yes. I'm seeing a lot of love for Chris Kirk and Michael Thompson as well from down there. So let's throw Rye guy into this lineup and see what we got left over. 7,400. And we only have $7,200 left over now. So if we can find someone a little bit cheaper potentially – to throw in here we might be able to get back up into that mid who's the lowest who's the cheapest guy that people are using hubbard close to like we didn't even mention hubbard but it looks like people are going to be using hubbard rates out really well uh yeah that's tough maybe we. what's can't. our price point right now our price point is seventy two hundred dollars for two spots maybe we don't we use go down the Svensson. my guy is Svensson? Yeah, we could we could most definitely go down to Svensson. We could go Svensson, seven thousand. That gives us seventy four, and leaves us with like Glover, Straka. I mean, we would really need one hundred more dollars somewhere else. It feels like in order to pull this off. Maybe we get rid of Mitchell. Okay, take Keith out. What does that open up? We we get to we get to Keith. We we get rid of Keith at ninety one, and then we go down to. I would say that Wise is going to be more popular than Vegas. Would you agree? Yes. Or hell, you yes. know what? You know what? We can use Mito instead of Keith. That gives us $7,600. And now we can use uh, Michael Thompson or Chris Kirk, like one of those two guys who I think are going to be pretty popular. I'm guessing Kirk ends up being more popular than Michael Thompson. I could be wrong on that. That ends up becoming the lineup. Knox, Mito, Sungjae, Aaron Rye, Svensson, Chris Kirk as the lineup with $100 left over. Love it. Chalk City. Enter. Don't dupe me, bro. To quote one, Mr. Pete Overzet. Joe Iadoni, thank you for being on, man. Where can everyone else catch you this week? Breaking down some golf. 
Absolutely. Uh, my Twitter account is at tour picks. Uh, you can catch me there. I will put out a betting card. I'm going to do some lunchtime long shots. I'm going to do a show with Rick tomorrow night. I've got preferred lines coming up later tonight. So just check out my Twitter page. It's all there. It's all free. It's all good. All right, cool. You're going to be at the course Thursday or Friday, both days. Friday and Saturday tomorrow, I'm playing uh, golf with with Will Haskett, who is a good friend of, has been a Twitter friend of mine. So I'm taking him out for a round of golf. He's getting me a media pass. So I'm going to hopefully get inside the clubhouse, maybe ask a couple of questions, maybe shoot a little content. Uh, It should be good fun. All right, cool. And let us know if there's any key insights uh, that you can pick up from Will because he walks the course with a lot of these guys and maybe we need to know. And if you're there and you see someone playing well and the numbers don't quite reflect it because that's going to be tricky this week, if, especially yeah. if people are playing showdown or live betting is that the strokes gain metrics aren't necessarily going to tell you the entire story because you can lose like two on your approach if you put like an approach in the water rather than putting a tee shot in the water. So keep that in mind. Just kind of track the putting to see how that's going. People are overperforming or underperforming where their baseline normally is. That's what you should keep in mind. You can find all of those live strokes game metrics at fantasynational.com. You slash Mayo. Get yourself 20% off. Sub to the newsletter. Sub to the channel. Smash the like. Give me your two fave 6K players in the comment section and play in the listeners league all right that'll do it for me i'm pat mayo i'll see you next time experience experience